today, Luke chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, and I, and I hope you do, if you can turn with me real quick to Luke chapter 9, and we're going to kind of start towards the end of the chapter, and then we're going to jump to the middle of the chapter, and we're going to get our Bible flipping fingers some good exercise today. So, all right. This is going to be a, a part three of my little kind of series I'm doing, uh, The Purpose of the Church, and it's, the purpose of the church is demanding discipleship. Purpose of the church is demanding discipleship. So, um, you know, we talked about the, the first week about how um, the martyrdom of Stephen brought about the, the spread of the church, which then that's the, those churches that were created out of that brought Saul, and that church uh, made Saul a missionary, which is we know now as Paul. Um, last week we talked about how uh, we should see the harvest, we should pray for laborers of the harvest, and then we should be the answers to our prayers for the harvest and become the people who go out and, and you know, be missionaries for these people. Today we're going to talk about the cost of being the answer to those prayers of ours. Uh, we're going to be discipleships, and the disciple kind of means to, uh, to a student being like his teacher uh, in, in a sort of a way. So uh, when we're disciples of Christ, we're, at, we're telling ourselves we are like Christ. If we see our, what the verses that we've been reading through the Bible, that there's a lot of shocking stuff that Jesus talked about. There's a lot of shocking stuff that Jesus did. And we're starting to realize that this is the Jesus that we actually worship, right? And so we're going to start in Luke chapter 9. We're, we're dealing with some people, some disciples that are coming up to Jesus and saying, I want to follow you. Or Jesus is coming up to them and asking him, them to follow him. And just listen real quick what Jesus tells these people, okay? Let's go uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds in the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid farewell to those who are at my house. And Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, let's sit back and imagine real quick in today. If someone came to this church and says, I want to be a member of our church. What's the first thing we say? Great, yeah, come on up here. Right? I want to, I want to be a believer of Christ. What's the first thing we do? Great, yeah, let's sit down. Let's pray this prayer. Our evangelism classes at seminaries, at Bible colleges, they aren't teaching this, right? They're not teaching the people skills that Jesus have here. But what is Jesus telling these people? These people are going up to Jesus and they're saying, I want to follow you. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow you, Jesus. And what does Jesus say? 
He says, are you sure? Here's the costs. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. I, I want to follow you, Jesus, but first let me, let me go bury my father. That doesn't matter. Follow me. Can I please just at least say goodbye to my family? There's no purpose for them in your ministry. Come and follow me. If we were to tell this to prospective Christians today, do you think they would be so inclined to follow? It's hard. It's tough. Because what we have going on in our lives as followers of Christ is that everything we do is to follow Christ. We, we, we use the term, give my life to Christ, way too loosely in our society anymore. I want to give my life to Christ except for my house. I want to give my life to Christ except for my comforts. I want to give my life to Christ except for this or that or this or that. So we're not actually really giving our life to Christ. I want to, I want to kind of go back. We talked about a couple weeks ago about those uh, folks we watched on the International Mission Board sent these new missionaries out. And we, we said a lot of them had to have their face blacked out and their names changed because they're going into unreached places of the world. Places of the world that they're unreached for a reason. They're unreached because they're hard to get to, either because of the mountainous terrains and it's hard to travel to those areas, or they're hard to get to because the people in those countries are places negatively respond to the gospel. People have been killed trying to go to them before. So these people are getting their face blacked out and they're, they're getting their names changed for their own protection. They're, and they're not just going. They're bringing their wife and their children along with them. Talk about giving your life to Christ. Everything you have. Your, your family is all going in. There's no guarantee when they go up there. Whether it be Cuba or North Korea or China, parts of India. We talked about yesterday about the Ananiram Judson and the letter he wrote to his wife's father. He said, would you be so inclined to never see your daughter ever again? And then she would eventually die in the mission field in Burma. To where her father never once saw her again. I mean, this is, this is this kind of stuff that Jesus is talking about here. Christianity isn't all about a bed of roses. And actually, as I say that, I don't know why people use that term. Roses have thorns, that hurts. <laughs> But it's, and we, we, we stop and we, and we look at these passages, the, these words that Jesus is saying, and we, we have to step back and think, is this really the Jesus that I'm following? Is this really the Christ that I have in my heart? These are tough words. 
modern day Americanized Christianity is too comfortable with, with comfortable cliches. The whole invite Jesus into my life and, and the whole pray this prayer and my life is going to be good from here on out. Where we, we are comfortable with sitting in our pews and just coming to the church on Sundays and maybe an occasional Wednesdays and just being like, that's all I have to do because I'm a Christian now. I said I'm a Christian. I prayed this prayer. I came up and I shook the pastor's hand. That's great. I'm going to heaven now. Is this what Jesus said? Did, did Jesus say any of these things? He said, no. You're going to have to give up all the comforts of your world, of your life. You're going to have to give up your house. You're going to have to give up opportunities to bury your dead. Should, I mean, when we go back to how, how Christianity has advanced in our country today, the whole pray this prayer and sign this card and congratulations, you are going to heaven. There's a, a story about a young kid. We'll, we'll, we'll call him Tom. He, one morning, one Saturday morning, he was watching Tom and Jerry on the TV. And uh, a particular scene of Tom and Jerry came up where uh, Tom had done something bad and he died and he went to hell. And so, so Tom, the, the kid, gets upset. And when he goes to church with his parents the next day, he talks to an, an older gentleman in the church and he says, well, and he tells him all this. And he says, well, Tom, you don't want to go to hell, do you? Well, well no, I, I don't. Well, you know, well, then pray with me for a second. And he says, dear God. And he re Tom realizes that I'm supposed to repeat after him. Okay, so dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And he goes through that prayer. And then afterwards, the older gentleman says to Tom, congratulations, you'll never have to worry about hell ever again. Is this true? Should it not concern us that there is no such superstitious prayer in the New Testament? I mean, should it not concern us that Jesus never said, invite me into your heart, invite me into your life, and you'll never have to worry about hell ever again? I mean, that's not, that's not the gospel we see him preached here. We, we're, we're seeing a gospel being preached that Everything, 100% of our lives, goes to Christ. None of these folks that came up to Jesus that day saying, I want to follow you, Jesus said, okay, real quick, let's pray this prayer. Jesus knew the hearts of these men. He knew what was first and foremost in their lives, and he says, give that up. Your, your house, your stuff is more important to you in this life. Give it up. You can follow me. But go back to the rich young ruler. Sell everything you have and give your money to the poor. Which shows that that man really didn't obey all the commandments because he didn't love his neighbor as himself. He was more concerned about his stuff.
So what does it mean to follow Christ? It means that we, we have to give our lives to him, that we are so focused on Christ completely that everything else falls into place. Everything else falls into place. Christ is first and foremost. So I don't want to end up picking a, a wife based on Christ. What I eat that day, what I, what I dress that day, where I go to purchase essential items of my house that day will all depend on my relationship with Christ. We talked about last week about the danger in our, in our lives is proportional to our relationship with Christ. If we are so in tune with Christ, Christ is first and foremost in our life, we will want what only Christ wants in our lives. Only what Christ wants in our lives. We put that blank check on the table and we say, whatever's, on my, whatever's in my life, God, I give it to you. And then if he says, you're going to North Korea, pack your bags. I mean, we know how North Koreans treat Christians. We've heard it on the news. We know how North Koreans treat their own. And there's actually people who go because they put that blank check on the table and they, they do that and all their lives fall into place and the danger that they put themselves, they aren't afraid of these people. In the passages we read last week, it says, what are you worried about? All they're going to do is kill you. All they can do is kill you. Don't be afraid of those who can destroy the body, but be afraid of those, of, of the one who can destroy your soul in hell. So what is required of discipleship? And this is where we're going to turn real quick. Uh, Luke, chapter 20, uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, real quick. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Discipleship comes with a, a cost, and we have to evaluate in our lives. Uh, we read in the, the, the four soils where he talked about the, the, the four different types of soils, and disciples came up to him afterwards and says, that made no sense. What do you mean? And of course, Jesus says, well, the folks who didn't care, they're going to stay confused, but you guys care. So I want to tell you. The purpose of that parable was to confuse the ones that didn't really want to follow Christ, but wanted to fit in with the crowds, and to teach it to those who really wanted to know. And Jesus said, first you have to evaluate the costs. Is you're not going to build something if you don't have enough money to finish it. A military general is not going to go to war if you haven't first evaluated if my 5,000 men is going to win against their 10,000 men. And if that's not the case, we'll make amends. So we have to, if in order to become disciples, we have to first evaluate the cost. What does it cost to be a disciple of Christ? What does it cost to be a Christian? What does it cost to, in our first week of this to earn the name Christian? And let's go, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He said to everyone, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and 
himself destroyed or lost. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man, he, he will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and his fathers and of the holy angels. Wow. Let's just take a moment and just let that soak in. This is the same Jesus, the same God that we just sing about. God is so good. He cares for me. He loves me so. And all that is true, yes. But just think for a minute. The real biblical response to discipleship. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This verse is taken out of context so many times all across our Americanized social Christianity where we hear, well, we all have burdens in our lives or stuff we have to suffer through and that's just a cross I have to bury or bear. Jesus isn't talking about that. Let's, let's get in our time machine that I normally put us in and send us back to the first century. The cross at this time was an instrument of torture. People who were bearing their cross were probably not going to be around tomorrow. Now just think about this for a second. The, the, the cross was used as a public execution. Okay? People, they, they were setting an example of some hardened criminals saying, look at these people. They put a placard above them telling what their crime was so people knew that's what they're doing this for. You don't do the same thing or you're going to end up in the same spot. They would have them carry part of their cross through the city and public humiliation so that everyone looking at this person knew that's a dead man walking. Jesus is saying here to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow him. He's saying to today's equivalent, pick up your electric chair and follow me. Or pick up your, what do they use today, the lethal injections and, and follow me. Paul continuously says in his letters to the churches that I die to myself every day. Jesus is saying the same thing. We are to die to ourselves, crucify ourselves with him on the cross, just as Paul said. That's what Jesus is talking about. Bear my cross. We are crucifying our old selves and becoming a new creation. So when we, we do that, we are no longer subjective to the comforts of our old life. Everything else is gone. We're a new person. We give our entire lives to Christ in the same effect that we die to ourselves. Ever heard the phrase, uh, someone uh, gets really upset with you and you, they say, you're dead to me? 
which means I'm never going to talk to you ever again. You're no part of my life ever again. We are telling, when we, when we come to follow Christ, when we come to truly accept him and put him first and foremost in our life and to follow him as such Christ is asking us to here, we are telling our old selves, you're dead to me. I want nothing to do with you in my life at all. That's what Christ is saying here, to take up your cross and to follow me. Because whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Get that. If you want to keep yourself the way you are in comfortable, cliche Christianity, if, if your main goal in Christianity is to just come in, in the church today and get our toe stepped on occasionally, feel good and fed, and then walk out the door saying, well, that was a good service today. I, I really like that. Or like I, I said towards the end of a Sunday school this morning with the, the problems in the world and what could actually be solved if Christians were actually Christians is people anymore are too, are too concerned with sitting in their churches and complaining about the issue instead of actually solving the issue. And my response always to, to folks who come to me personally and says, well, isn't it such a shame that this is happening or this is happening? Gay marriage, abortion, this, that, this in our country. And I'm like, yes, it is. What are you going to do about it? Well, I, I just think we should, someone should do something about it, you know. You know, Donald Trump should do something. Congress should do something. Well, what, what are you going to do? It's obviously upsetting you quite a bit. So, when we become disciples, we die to ourselves. Our formal life that we once knew is given away. So everything, everything that we do, our breaths we take, our clothes we wear, our food we eat, our drinks we drink is all in the name of God. That's... That's a radical way of thinking. And just to think that it, it goes into our first passage that we talked about this morning where he wanted to say goodbye to his family. He at least wanted, he knew that that person knew that he was never going to see his family again. He at least wanted to say bye. And what was Jesus' response to that? He who holds his hands to the plow and looks back is not worthy of following me. Um, there's a story about a farmer who uh, his son continuously asked the farmer, uh, I want to plow the fields. I want to plow the fields. I want to plow the fields. And finally the farmer goes, okay, I'll let you plow the fields, but you, gotta, you have to understand that you've got to plow them straight lines, straight lines. I understand that, Dad. I, I want to plow the fields. So the farmer says, okay, I'll give you the plow. You go plow the fields. And so the, the, the farmer comes back, kind of check and see what his, how his son is doing. And he notices that the lines are all waggly. And the, the farmer goes, son, I, I told you you needed to keep them straight. What happened? Well, it turns out that the son saw a crow in the field. And he kept watching the crow as he's trying to plow the field which caused 
crooked lines. Jesus is saying in our lives that in order to be a disciple of Christ, we can't be concerned about that crow. We can't be looking around when we're trying to plow the fields. If we, if we plow the fields and keep a steady, steady eye up ahead like we should, keep an eye ahead, we want to plow straight lines. Not worrying about what's back there because we already know what's back there because of what we've done up here. And what we're about to do even further ahead. But if we keep looking back, I, I, would, I would suggest you, I, I was going to suggest you try that on your ride home today, but don't. Don't do that because that's, that's not going to end very well. In the same situation, if you're looking, if you're driving your car down the highway and you're like, I wonder what's back, back there, you don't have to wonder for long because you're going to stay in that spot for, for a while until someone shows up and gets you out of there. But it's the same situation. In our lives, when we're following Christ, look ahead. There's, there's a harvest to be seen. As we read later on in Luke yesterday, when Jesus says there is a harvest, there is a need. And what was this third thing he said? Pray. He said there's a harvest out there. There's spiritual people who are dead in their sin. The word Jesus has used, they are like sheep without a shepherd. All over the place. Freaking out, getting sick, jumping off cliffs, whatever sheep do without a shepherd. We see a world of sin in these people. And Jesus looks at them in agony. And he says, they if nothing, fall, if nothing changes in their lives, if they don't follow me like they should, then they are destined for an eternal hell, eternal separation from Christ. So here's the harvest. And we talked about yesterday, not yesterday, but last week, that the harvest is an urgent time. There's, you go to bed late and you wake up early. You got to get those that grain out of the field. You have to hurry up. You got to do it. There's no waiting around. There's no waiting around for this either. There's an urgency. Jesus wants us to not only see the harvest, but to see their need, why there is a harvest. If Jesus is looking upon these people with agony, how shall we also look at these people with that same Christ in our hearts? See the harvest. See their need. Pray. Be the answer to that prayer. But before we do that, we have to outweigh the costs. Will we give up our lives, die to ourselves, get rid of the old self, crucify ourselves on the cross with Christ to do his work? The purple purpose of the church is a demanding discipleship.
The purpose of the church is to earn the name Christian, to spread the church. The purpose of the church is to see the harvest and to see the need and to pray for them. The purpose of the church is to follow a demanding discipleship. The church is the body of Christ. Not this, this building, not the wood, not the, the insulation, the metal we just put on top of the roof, the carpet, the pews, the furnace. We really like that furnace. But it's not the church. This building can burn up, but we'll still be here as long as we're not inside when it burns up. We are the disciples of Christ. We, at one point in our lives, has, has decided that we are going to give ourselves up and follow Christ. We, at one point in our lives, have decided that the people out there, their eternity is more important than my current pleasures. Our purpose is to bring in others so we can teach them. They too can become missionaries, pastors, church plants, and to send them back out into the world. That is our purpose. Demanding discipleship. Going to places, going to people that may kill us. And they might. We might die. Now, I gave the illustration um, a couple weeks ago. If Imagine if I was standing here and the government came in and said, you're preaching the gospel and kill me right here in front of you guys. How would the church respond to a situation like that? How, how would today's Americanized, comfortable, cliche, social Christianity respond to that situation. As long as we're comfortable in our pews, we're comfortable in our houses and our big expensive cars and and as long as we're we're comfortable in here and we just show up to church on Sunday mornings and occasionally on Wednesday nights that the devil sees no threat in us. You're, the, the reason why churches that are like that flourish so well is because devil doesn't intervene. He's already got that church by their clasps. And that Satan's actually using those churches to kill Christianity. But when a church finally decides that we're going to set all our comforts aside, all our lives aside. When, when, when a church finally decides that we're going to make Christ first and center, we're going to obey even all the, all the stuff he says, even the radical parts that we just read. The parts where Christ says, you have to give up everything, and yes, I mean everything, to follow him. The parts that we like to ignore 
when, when a church finally decides to do that, we're going to see uh, disease in the church. We're going to see separation in the church, disagreements. The church is going to want to, and Satan's going to get in there, and he's going to try to put an end to it. We have to pray. Pray for laborers of the harvest, and God will send them. And prayerfully, from us. So as we sing our hymn of invitation, number 288, where he leads us, I will follow. And I just love how this always goes into, into that. Honestly, where he leads us, I will follow. We are telling ourselves and God that we die to ourselves and that everything that he does, we will also do.